Holy Smokes, the Preacher Podcast. My name is Josh Carter. I'm Brett Bird. Welcome. Preacher is finally here. Yay. I've waited for this for so long. Josh is so happy. I And I was not disappointed. I, there, I have a lot to talk about with this episode. And I'm going <laughs> to do my level best not to spoil anything. <laughs> it's going to be really hard. Because <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of little references and things in here that really make me want to watch it <laughs> or really make me excited to watch this show yeah so keep it together um don't be that guy I, i'm gonna do my level best that's <laughs> as much as i can promise you'll have to call me out on it and thankfully we have editing <laughs> um so yeah we are here today to talk about the pilot episode for amc's preacher um this show has been a long time coming mm-hmm Almost 20 years yeah. since uh, since it was first published as a comic. Um, and Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen figured out how to do it. They pitched the teleplay a long time ago. This episode was written by Sam Catlin, who was one of the uh, writers on Breaking Bad. Oh, great. So it's definitely got the pedigree behind it. And oh, then for sure. This episode was also directed by Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen. Man, uh, I, I love both of those guys. It's, it's I've, awesome I've that always they're doing liked, this. Yeah, like, no, I've always, always, always liked, like, like Devin Goldberg a lot. And Seth Rogen is just, I like him. <laughs> he has a lot of, like, that bro humor cornered, I think. Like, most of his movies are not movies that I generally would like to watch. But I find him so charming as a person as, and as an actor. Like, I, I can't think of anybody else that I would be okay with being behind this show. Does that really? make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like I think it's it has just the right amount of like that irreverent kind of humor that it works, but it's also still going to it touches on a lot of really deep theological shit in the first episode alone, which is unexpected, but they they really they kind of level it all out with a lot of really great hum- humor, so. I think yes, that's like is, I think it's got Seth Rogen's mark on it for sure. Oh, yes, definitely. And it's that level of humor is perfect for this property um, just because the the comic books are so funny, mm-hmm. but in, in a really kind of dark and twisted way. And um, I mean, these guys have written some really dark and twisted movies before. So to see them finally, you know, take on this property, I think is pretty much perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, Opening thoughts, Britt. What did you think of this episode? Um, I think it's one of the best pilot episodes of a television show I've ever seen. Really? Like, from top to bottom, start to finish. Uh, yeah, one of the best. One of the best opening episodes of a series that, that I've ever seen. Um, it was dynamic. It was fun to watch. It gave you just enough information about these characters that it. you were immediately either endeared to them or you made a decision about them or you didn't know how to feel about them, but you were intrigued just enough that you wanted to keep watching, uh, which is what I found to be true with uh, Jesse, Jesse's character specifically, because I don't know a lot about I to preface. Of course, if like you listen to our first episode, you know, Josh has read the books. I have not. So I don't know a lot about any of these characters. um, So I'm going off of what the show is telling me. Um, I've been very, very good about ignoring Wikipedia, which was really hard today because I rewatched the episode and there was a lot that I wanted to look up 
because I want to. I'm one of those people that I'll immediately jump to the end of the book to see how it ends. Um, wait, you wait, what you do that? Yeah, I do that. I'm that person. What? So I, I've I'm doing very very good to not do that with the show. So I thought as an episode, like I said, top to bottom, start to finish, I thought it was great. Um, I want to know more. Like I'm I'm hooked. I want I want to know everything I possibly can about these characters. I want to know who's supposed to be there and who is an addition to the show that's not originally in the comics. Um, okay. Like we, I, I want to know everything about these people. Um, so I'm excited to to keep watching it. Yeah. We will definitely talk about some of that on this episode because there's a couple characters that play key roles in this episode that are not in the comics. Okay. They are original characters. Sure. Now, as somebody who is familiar with the with the story material, what did you think of this episode? Is um, it everything you wanted it to be and more? It was. I thought it was great. Um, it's very different in a lot of ways than the comic. There's. It's not a straightforward adaptation by any stretch of the imagination. And I, um, watching it three times now, I think I know where they're going, uh, which really makes me happy. And it's a it. It's really smart adaptation because you've heard me talk about this before. This is a crazy property. It gets really bizarre and really kind of dark and twisted. And there's some strange stuff that goes down in the comic books. Um, So for them to start it this way and not just start it as like a prequel. Hey, we're just going to set up all this other stuff that we're going to do later. But to start it using something from the comic book, using a specific storyline from the comic book in order to allow people to get accustomed to the characters before it gets really weird. But there's little Easter eggs in there that are that are kind of pointing the way of, hey, we'll, we'll get there eventually. We'll get to, um, you know, we'll get to the weird <laughs> at some point. Okay. Um, I thought it was a really great adaptation for a really tough property sure. to adapt. Sure. Um, yeah, and it's getting a lot of praise online and in TV reviewer circles, uh, which really makes me happy because I really want this to be a hit. I really want people to check this show out because it's, mm-hmm. like you said, they, they get into some really deep theological stuff. And me mm-hmm. being the son of a preacher, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, this stuff is just kind of ingrained in me. But I also love really dark, weird stuff. Right. So like this is kind of like, kind of like a perfect property. It's a great for little me. balancing act. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really want this to be a hit. And I really love that there's a show that's going to try to walk that line of, hey, there's, you know, we're going to talk about God and the devil and this stuff, but we're not going to talk about it in a polite way. Um, I just love that idea. Mm. And so I, I really enjoyed this episode as kind of a precursor to you know, what they're going to do down the line. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. There's, there's characters that popped out all, uh, immediately just from this first episode that I already feel very, um, I feel very endeared to, I feel very protective tulip. of. Um, well, you can't really feel protective of Tulip. I feel this way about Arseface. Eugene, is that his name? Eugene. Eugene. Yeah. Um, I I've watched I've I've watched the episode twice and the scene with Eugene has successfully made me cry both times. Um, Up in his room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was sitting with you during the your third rewatch and I was kind of ignoring it because I didn't want to watch that scene because I didn't want to get emotional again. Um, 
which is just a testimony to really great writing, I think, and really great direction. Um, there's not one weak actor in this cast that I've seen so far, which is really promising as uh, as somebody that I, I'm, I'm also an actor. So I tend to be one of those assholes that's a little bit critical about it. But from what I've seen so far, I'm very impressed. Uh, we will talk about Tulip because I have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we'll get <laughs> but there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess let's start at the beginning. Sure. What were your thoughts when it opened up on space and it looks like it's 1970s porno film? I loved it. Um, I even I made I made a little kind of note uh, on a notepad that was sitting next to my computer when I was doing my second rewatch. All I wrote down was 1970s sci-fi. Awesome. <laughs> and that's what it looks like. I love that. It was it really grabbed me right away. It's very dynamic. It's it's unique enough that you're having if you've seen any of the promos for the show, you recognize that there's a specific tone that they're going for so that it opens up in a very different way than what you're what you're anticipating is quite exciting, I think, because <laughs> it literally says like outer space. And then it's all of these like bad animated effects of deep space with like a comet busting through Saturn's rings. And um, so it. And on the one hand, while it was really dynamic and interesting, it was also a little unnerving because the sound that that thing makes sounds like a baby crying, which is really fucking weird. It is a baby crying. Because it's like a baby crying, but it's a comet and it's in space, but it's not a comet. So it's like, what the fuck is happening? So that was imme- that, that, that immediately, like that first opening sequence really had me, had me uh, by the figurative balls, if you will. Yeah, you bring up the sound. The sound design in this whole episode, there's a couple moments that I'll talk about later, but the sound design, just things they do in the background, like hidden sound. Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. There's so many great little moments with that uh, throughout this episode. Yeah. Um, So the comet crashes down to Earth, um, and we end up in a church in Africa. Mm Mm-hmm. I just want you to kind of walk me through your thought process watching this scene. I mean, I definitely still it was one of those things where I was curious, um, knowing next to nothing about preacher, but knowing enough that it I do know that there are some uh, themes that involve God and the devil and a battle between good and evil. Um, I, I recognized instantly, you know, okay, so we're establishing that this is some sort of presence that is, is it targeting preachers? Is it target targeting men that are holy, uh, and then sort of blowing through them if their bodies can't handle the presence of the Holy spirit? Like what, what is that about? Like, why are these people just spontaneously blowing up? Uh, and so Immediately, I was I was I was intrigued and very curious as to know uh, what was going to happen next and how that's going to be explained. Um, we yeah. Get, we, yeah, we get that preacher, um, the African minister, yeah. uh, giving a sermon. It's it's really kind of a weird sermon because it's kind of a lot of the book of Revelation type stuff. Very much so. But they change up a lot of the wording, uh-huh. uh, which is really interesting. But it was still very much like a doomsday sermon. Like yes. Talking about like the battle of good and evil is coming. Well, and the, the really interesting that note that I took of that is one of his lines is like, uh, 
the like there comes a rider on a pale horse mm-hmm. and on his back what or on the horse's back was someone that was the voice of God. Yeah. Um that usually in scripture is you know, death rides a pale horse mm-hmm. and uh, you know, hell came with him. Right. It's the classic revelation um translation of that phrase. So already they're kind of twisting that a little bit to kind of build their own little mythology Mm -hmm. because the voice of God is the power that we see Jesse use later. Yeah. That's what they refer to that as in the comic book. Um, so I really liked that they kind of just tweaked that line just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and we get several shout outs to the voice of God, Mm -hmm. uh, leading up to the final moments Mm -hmm. where we really see what that is play out. Sure. Um, so then the, what did you think when he exploded? Uh, I, I mean, I guess, um, also growing, growing up in a, in a Christian household, uh, being familiar enough with scripture to know that, uh, classically it's often taught and preached, uh, that the presence of God uh, to look upon God or to hear God's voice is it's too much for any human being to handle. Like that's just always something that was taught to me in my household anyway, mm-hmm. um, that the presence of God alone would kill a human man, uh, that to hear his voice, unless he, you know, dialed down a couple of decibels so that he, that he, you could understand him, like to hear the sound of God's voice, to be in his presence or to look upon him would be too much for any human to withstand and they would die immediately right there. So seeing a preacher stand up and say, I am the prophet, like I'm the chosen one, and then immediately exploding uh, and sending blood and guts flying everywhere, I immediately knew, okay, so we are we are dealing classically with a God that everyone is generally sort of familiar with uh, in that it is the biblical God of kind of this Old Testament fame where it's very violent and there's this sense of God is love and light, but God is also dangerous. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was immediately like my first thought of was like, okay, so we're dealing with a God that's very brutal. Like this is violent and this is something that not any one man could probably withstand, which I think is what makes the end of this episode so interesting. Um, which so we'll do you to, think, do yeah. you think that, um, that force that is flying around the world destroying people is God? Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's actually God. I don't know if it's uh, if it's some aspect of God, whether it's like his voice or it's I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it is something that maybe it's a, an extension of, of God, the figure that it's more of a, a, a it's something that it's put into people in order for them to prophesize. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I do think that it is some sort of holy, um, heavenly being. That's, okay. That's my theory. You're not totally <laughs> wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, the, that, I think, is... The, when that stuff starts to get revealed, that's when it, the show, I think, will start to get, like, really weird. And they're setting a lot of that up in this episode, including a couple characters that we see return to that church later. 
Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those guys. Yeah. Those two characters uh, will be the catalyst to reveal exactly what that thing what, is. Yeah. What okay. it is. Yeah. Um, so coming out of the church, everybody scatters and the cross falls. I love that the clo- the cross um, flips upside down and swings back and forth for a quick second before it completely crashes. And then we cut to a flashback um, to Jesse's dad uh, kind of giving him, a, I don't know if you would call it a pep talk. <laughs> It's, it's, I don't think it's a pep talk so much. It's kind of it's just, just like his a, last words. My last words. My last will and testament to my son. Um, but he, yeah, so he's giving Jesse some advice. We'll call it that. Do you want to go ahead and talk about like kind of all those flashbacks together? Or uh, yeah. Take yeah. them as they come. Yeah. I think talking about all the flashbacks together is probably good because it's interspersed throughout the episode at random times. Um, I don't I don't really have much to say and comment on that because I feel like I don't obviously something really bad went down. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like the identity of who shot his dad, what the promise was that he made him, what Jesse did that was so bad that he went away, but then he came back like there's a lot still that's not been filled in for me that, you know, and I know, you know, and I know, you know, that I don't know. Mm-hmm. One interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm well, I'm fine to just say, hey, flashbacks happened. <laughs> well, the one one of the interesting things that I really wanted to talk about this flashbacks um, and really bring them up because there is like yeah, there is no context for a first time viewer to know anything that's going on in that situation. Exactly. But in the comics, his dad is not a preacher. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so it's a very interesting thing that they're doing, making that an aspect of the adaptation. Yeah, I don't really know what to do with that right now because there's not a ton of information. I know that exact scene. They pulled it almost straight from the comic book. But he's not a preacher. But he's not a preacher. Wow, that is very okay. So let me ask you this. Um, And I I don't believe that this will spoil anything for me. gentle listener if it if you feel it will spoil something for you just stop listening ignore this and by the way we're not we're gonna try to our best to avoid yeah. book spoilers sure but we will spoil everything from this from episode the and then moving forward every episode after this yeah um, um but so go ahead let me ask you this so okay so now that i know that in the book it's very different that his dad is not a preacher um does that affect the promise that he made to his dad because there's a lot of there's they put they lean into this idea very heavily in this episode, right, of him coming back um, and him not necessarily being welcome back. And people are sort of nervous about him being there. I mean, the sheriff even has that line where he says, you know, everybody's really worried that you're being so quiet. But I think that's how we should keep it. Like, you should definitely stay with your nose to the ground. Don't make waves. Um, so does that tie into his dad not being a preacher or um, in your mind, does it make it all the more imperative? Does it make the promise all that more imperative and important because his dad is now a preacher? Do uh, you understand what I'm I, saying? Yes, okay. I do. I, I don't know okay. because, um, the, I don't think the promises to his dad 
Okay. That is, I, if it's the promise that I have some sort of reference to, it is not to his dad. Okay. Um, they may be spinning that to be to his dad, mm -hmm. which is why his mm -hmm. dad is now a preacher. So they may be doing that. But okay. if I remember correctly, the promise that he made that he broke and now he feels like he's paying for okay. um, was not to his dad. Interesting. Um, okay. okay. And it's also interesting that um, Anvil in the comic book is not his hometown. Okay. Uh, it's a different town. Uh, he has no association with Sheriff Root okay. until a certain point in the comics. Okay. Um, so they're very they're the, the, for the they're sake of efficiency. A, I think it is what it's sounding like. Well, and it's it's that whole idea too of like allowing people to get to know these characters and making them comfortable before this really takes a left turn. Okay. I think. Okay. Um, yeah. That at makes what sense point too. they will sure. do that? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're setting it in small town America to let everybody kind of get used to this world mm -hmm. before it goes nuts. Okay. Um, okay. Which I really like. I think it really really works well. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's some great moments in here um, from those characters that don't. They're they're important characters in the comics, but it's a comic book. You they don't get a ton of love. Sure. You know they're there for a couple pages, and they're big characters, but they're not. You know. Yeah. You couldn't do a whole season with their stories. Um, so coming out of that first flashback, we we meet Jesse Custer. Um, I loved that they included the Willie Nelson song, The Time of the Preacher, hmm. uh, because the lyrics appear in the first comic book. Oh, that's cool. That's really and cool. the first issue is actually titled The Time of the Preacher. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, I love that he loses the page to his sermon. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, it's such a stupid, simple mistake, but you just immediately see like, oh, this dude's just not good at his job. His sermon reminded me um, a lot of a, a story that your dad might tell, but your dad... Uh, to give you a little backstory, Josh's dad was a preacher. Uh, Josh's dad was also a coach. Uh, yeah. So he very much rides that line of being like a really phenomenal motivational speaker. But then also like he'll he'll tell you like a story from the Bible, but he'll equate it in terms that you can understand like he's telling you about football plays. <laughs> so a, I mean, in a way, it just comes across as a lot of like yeah. locker room speech. Yeah. Yeah. Which your, is your really dad, inspiring. Your dad like has the locker room speech on lock. So oh, totally. him telling this, his sermon involving uh, some sort of parable about a football coach and the player reminded me instantly of your dad. But if your dad wasn't telling the story right, which is never going to happen because your dad knows these stories like the back of his hand, right? So yeah. that, that, that was a fun little moment for me. I was like, oh, yeah, every preacher always tells the sports story. <laughs> But then he lost the page was kind of great, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I love that, that in that whole scene during his sermon, we kind of move around the room and we get introduced to all the major players of this episode. Um, we get the family with the son um, who in the next scene asks Jesse to beat up his dad. Mm -hmm. uh, we get Ted Ryerson. Oh, Ted. Who 
Bless. Is played. <laughs> he's <laughs> played by Brian Husky. And that character is so wonderfully annoying. Yeah. Like, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm sad to see that character go. You feel for him so much, though. Like, I especially did. Like, if you, anybody that has that parent that's just not, like, nothing you ever do is going to be right. Like, it seems like it's the end of the world. And to have somebody to talk to about it is so, you know, so important. But he just, he's so annoying. But you you kind of hurt for him, too. Because he just needs a friend. Like, it's obvious this guy doesn't have friends. He just needs someone to talk to other than his mother. Yeah, he needs somebody to talk to other than his mom. And so it just happens to be Jesse, who is so long-suffering and kind at first. And he just kind of lets him go on these tangents and then sort of like in passing gives him like a little bit of bullshit advice and then just goes on his way. But you can tell that to Ted it means so much that he has somebody to talk to. So that makes his loss a little bit bittersweet because you're like oh Ted no oh, I just love that actor and he's a great I mean, actor he's, he's so funny he pops up in just about anything you can think of commercial or TV it doesn't matter film he's done a lot of film work like, he's a really great bit player he's a great bit player yeah, yeah. He, I, he comes on he comes on screen and he makes it count so that character is not really a character in the comic book mm. um and yeah, get, start giving me a rundown as we start delving into some of the people as they're introduced. Like, definitely yeah. let me know like who's who's who, who's there, and who's not. He uh, Ted is not. Okay. That is a storyline that is unique to the show. Okay. Um, which I loved. Uh, just that they that's how they reveal what the voice of God is. Yeah, is brilliant. That's great. Um, I really wonder if that character's name is a reference to Groundhog Day. Because the um, the character that is constantly badgering uh, Bill Murray's character. Yeah. Um, and he's like, Phil? Phil Connors? And he's like, Ned? It's Ned Ryerson is oh, that character's name. Oh, my God. It so, has to be. And so it's very similar character type. I really wonder if that's a reference to Groundhog Day. Oh, it has to be. Knowing, I mean, come on. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, come on. It's really fun if that's a reference. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I would really legitimately not be surprised. And you also, and I know you also mentioned that Emily, uh, played Emily, by Lucy Griffiths, is not. Yeah, who you love from True Blood. She was on True Blood. She played, uh, she was one of one of God Godric's um, children alongside Eric. And I loved her. She was great. Um, yeah, that, that <laughs> character. That's literally all I know her from. This is True Blood. <laughs> it's True Blood. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, look, it's that girl. She was a really hot vampire on True Blood. How do I know her? Oh, yeah. So. Um, yeah. So she is also a character that is unique to the show. Okay. Um, as the season progresses, I may have something to add to that, but okay. for now she's a character that's unique to the show. Okay. I will say on the front end of all of this, knowing that she's an original character and knowing Tulip, knowing a little bit about Tulip and Jesse's relationship, I, I, I feel like. I will be a little disappointed if they try to set up some sort of a love triangle. Um, I understand, like, you know, maybe... If they try to set up a love triangle? Or if they do... They've already set it up. Well, yeah, but, like, 
not so overtly that it's like immediately you're like, oh, I ship it. I'm, I mean, no, I'm sure there are people on Tumblr who are already like, oh, hell yeah, I do. I already have written like 16 pieces of fan fiction about it. But <laughs> I'm, I would just be a little disappointed because I feel like that's just su- that's always such the obvious route to go. Like when you have two very interesting but very different female characters, you always have to put them in opposition of one another for the sake of the leading man. And that disappoints me if that's the route they're going to take, which it looks like it is. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll turn it on its head because they're already doing things in the first episode alone that's kind of turning the whole storyline on its head. Um, maybe maybe something will happen to Emily next episode. Maybe she'll die. I don't know. Um, but I feel like that that might be one thing that might rub me the wrong way. Does that make mm. sense? You know, like yeah. That that might be the one that might be the one rub that I have with preacher is like, why do you have to do this all the time, guys? Well, I mean, I hope they're smart enough not to completely do that because that is very cliche to just oh yeah we have this female love triangle that's two women fighting over a man yeah and it's like these two very interesting women too and they're very interesting in their own different i mean completely night and day different ways emily is a power mom working at the church trying to figure out how to make the church relevant in the community tulip meanwhile we'll get to tulip but tulip is a badass um and it's like, oh, okay, so we're basically introducing this love triangle just to show that Jesse, as a character, has this conflict that he has to deal with, which is not just a conflict between good and evil, presumably, but also the conflict between choosing the safe girl or the girl that's very passionate and violent, but deeply rooted in his past. I feel like that's such a trope of a storyline. I feel like that's been done so many times before. Yeah. I want to see something fresh. I want to see something different. Um, my hope is that they do something different, but yeah, whatever. I'll watch it regardless, but you know, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks that Emily is, um, a surrogate in this first season for another character that is coming down the line later. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But yeah, but I do think they are setting up that dynamic and they're using that that di- that relational that relational dynamic as a metaphor for the conflict that Jesse feels. Yeah, sure. Um which is appropriate but it can be handled better than just Yeah, you no, know, it's at, gonna at, all at, hands at on some how point, they handle it. Yeah. Yeah, at it's some point gonna, Tulip and Emily yeah, showing down and they're like, sure. You get your hands off my man. Or like, or like not even that, but it's like a thing of like no, like this is it sometimes it just it can veer into that territory of like I'm good for him. I know what's best. And yeah. Tulip being like, uh, bitch, you've been here all of five minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know? So anyway, moving on. Um, well, transitioning off of that, um, in the next scene when uh, the little boy, uh, Chris, Chris Sh- Schneck, Shank? Shank? Shank. Shank. Is that how you say that? Um, Chris Shank the little boy asked Jesse to hurt his dad and we start to get our first reference to Jesse's past. Um, can't really go into a ton about it, but you start to see that this character, he's, he's conflicted in ways that don't really have a lot to do with faith. Yeah. He personalizes it in a way where he, he's, he feels like he's paying penance for something. Um, 
like you mentioned, the broken promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's almost punishing himself uh, by being a preacher in this, you know, in this way. And it, it's, you know, he's, he's trying to make amends for his past. Now what that is, they will reveal, I'm sure. Um, but we get our first reference to it there. Uh, I love the little moment that comes after this because it's, it really kind of sums up the comic book in a funny way. Uh, the whole thing of transferring the official mascot of the high school the from being the, the savages dogs. to the prairie yeah. dogs. Yeah. Um, and how that's just people don't want political correctness. Yeah. That is preacher in a nutshell. This is the most not pol- like it is not politically correct in any way. Mm-hmm. The comic book. Mm-hmm. And we get glimpses of that in the show. And I love it. Like yeah. having at the end of that scene, we have Jesse Custard climb into his truck and take a giant pull of whiskey. And mm-hmm. right then Sheriff Root walks up and doesn't say anything about it, even though there's this national stigma of, yeah, you know, drunk driving. That is something that everybody kind of knows at this point as like, don't yeah. do that. That's wrong. Yeah. And he, the sheriff's just like, yeah, not going to yeah. not even going to acknowledge it. Um, well, and it informs you so much of this town, right? And it, small it town informs dynamic, you, yeah. yeah, it informs you of the tone of the town and that it's, it's kind of still stuck in a certain, uh, in a certain era where the sheriff turns a blind eye to the preacher taking a swig of whiskey before he drives. Uh, and I love, it, I love it, Dominic it, Cooper's reaction to right when he says, um, I told him you couldn't do it or however he introduces himself in that scene. And Jesse has that moment where he kind of like almost spit takes back into the bottle trying to hide it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. such a perfectly yeah. performed little action yeah. that is really funny. Yeah. Um, and that's just great. I think that's great for the whole through the whole episode throughout. I think it's there's just a lot of great writing going on and a lot of great direction. Um, there's tiny little moments that tell you everything you need to know. Um, if that continues with this series, I will be a happy camper. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, this is our first introduction to Sheriff Root, who is a big character in the comic book in the main way that he is Eugene's dad. Um, and that starts a storyline uh, that kind of carries through the entire series. Uh, but it's played by the wonderful W. Earl Brown. Uh, Brown. Um, I've missed him on my TV because he was on Deadwood. Was he? He oh, was on cool. Deadwood, okay, and yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. great to hear him back with a southern accent. <laughs> yeah. uh, he played one of those characters on Deadwood that thought he was smarter than he actually was. Oh, But bless. he worked for the really smart guy. Yeah, sure, yeah. So those uh, characters are always really fun. Yeah, yeah. He, would, he would talk using big words, but he would constantly mispronounce them. <laughs> or he, use them in the wrong context. Exactly. Yeah. Like he was he was a That's fantastic great. character. He's one of my favorite characters on Deadwood. So it's really great to see him play this character that um is pretty much just an asshole. Yeah. Uh throughout, <laughs> I mean in 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 the comic book he is a much more serious type. He's he's Clint Eastwood in those old spaghetti western. He's very deadpan, he's very serious. Um and a lot of that is baggage due to Eugene um, 
who we will get to in just a second because I really love that reveal. Um, but coming out of that, we get to meet one of my favorite characters in any story I've ever read. Britt, here's another scene where I'm just going to pass it off and tell me, walk me through your thought process watching this scene. Because I think it was a pretty big surprise for you. Um, I don't think I've ever, I, I, I can't, okay, so basically I don't remember the last time I immediately, like, as soon as something was revealed with a character, I gasped and then clapped. And I don't think that I've ever immediately fallen so hard in love with a character as I have with Cassidy. Um, maybe when, maybe, maybe when Buffy was on and Spike was first introduced, um, maybe then. But this sequence with Cassidy on the plane was such fun to watch. Uh, with such an unexpected twist, I text you and was like, wait a minute, there's vampires? <laughs> you said nothing of this, no. uh, which was really exciting. So I guess I, I had taken it for granted that, yeah, it's just Jesse Custer's best friend is an Irish an vampire. an Irish vampire <laughs> named Cassidy, who is so charming, so foul-mouthed, such a just ruffian and I love it I I I'm, I was in love from the minute I met him I was like this is yep this is yeah this yeah, is <laughs> this is like me watching The Force Awakens and seeing Kylo Ren for the first time I was like well <laughs> throw me into the trash can I'm done I'm garbage <laughs> um he's played by the fantastic Joseph Gilgan yes. um uh, I hope I'm saying that right uh but I I've loved him ever since I saw him in Lockout which was a a kind of a strange little sci-fi Luc Besson movie. Um, but he was a brilliantly psychotic, schizophrenic character in that movie. And I've, it's I've not always too far off the course now, <laughs> not totally. I yeah. mean, he's, but he does have that charm. That's the thing about Cassidy is, um, and something that they will deal with down the line. Because I mean, if you think about it in this episode, he and Jesse meet, but, they don't know what he is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely going to be a, well, a plot point at some point in this, this episode whole, or in this season. And I hope so. I can't wait to see that. And I can't wait to see how the mythology of vampires is handled in this specific universe, because everybody has their own different takes on it. Right. Like uh, everybody, you know, from Joss Whedon to what's her face that wrote Twilight. Everybody's got their own different ideas about vampires. And um, so you see him. Uh, you do see him bite someone and drain them. But mm -hmm. from what I could tell, he does not have fangs that extend. No. Um, he can he he can pass. He can have bowel move it, move, movements just like anybody else. Well, he can um, eat and drink. He can eat and drink. See, yeah. so this is already like these are little things that were given to me in this pilot episode about Cassidy that I've never seen before. Um that uh, in terms of the mythology of, of of vampires, so I'm I'm already really 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 fucking excited to see what Cassidy is all about, um, because like okay, so he he can interact with humans without having the impulse to kill them, or if he mm -hmm. does have the impulse, he can presumably control it because he's around preacher, um, 
He's presumably around Emily there for three days when Preacher's out cold. So I, I, so there's a lot of unanswered questions that I'm really giddy to see come to the surface and see how they kind of explain it and sort of set up the mythology of like, okay, so vampires are real. This is how they exist in this universe. Yeah. Um, as a character, I think he's just a delight. I can't wait to see more scenes with him. I mean, he... he he steals this episode for me. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. And a lot of that is just I mean, the character for one. It's just supposed to be that character mm-hmm. that is, you know, he's the funny guy. He's, but he's also kind of the the screw up. You know, he he doesn't know where he is, and his whole first introduction to Jesse is trying to figure out where he is, and Jesse just won't give him the time of day. Sure. Um, <laughs> he's like, "Where am I? A bar?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn it, that's not what I needed to know. Where am I? Yeah, like county, state, yeah, uh, city, town. Um, and then later he's like, I'm not good with directions. And then you, the interesting thing, um, well, actually we'll get to that later because we're not quite, quite to the bar yet. Um, the big thing that has to do with vampire mythology in this episode that we get is that the guy tries to, pour holy water on him and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and he just says when will you wankers learn so interesting it's it's a different sort of mythology that they build um i love it i love it i love everything about it there's a little bit there's a little bit of still a problem uh uh-huh but but it's a it's a slow but indirect sunlight isn't so much of a problem yeah um which is interesting because even i mean even on buffy and even in you know uh mythology like Anne Rice established um, you have to avoid all sunlight no matter what even indirect sunlight gives you the sweats but we see him laying in a crater that he's created after jumping out of a plane and he's in indirect sunlight with this tattered umbrella Um, healing factor too is interesting they've they've established that there is a rapid healing factor thing that happens which um, mostly based on blood. Mostly based on blood, of course, mm-hmm. yes. But yeah, that's not been really seen uh, since True Blood, really, because Buffy didn't. Buffy didn't really give us a lot of that. Buffy gave us the more more of the idea of like it was possible to become deformed and you just never recovered from it. Um, so yeah, so they're they're. I'm just. I love it. I love. Yeah, I, I'll never. And yeah, I'll never forget. I texted you like you didn't tell me they were vampires. <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> Yep, there be vampires. Surprise! There's vampires. Yep. It's, uh, I mean, yeah. There were a lot of reasons. This is why it killed me so much to have you not read the comic books as I was reading them. (laughs) Because we were preparing for this podcast. I read all the comic books. Britt purposely stayed away from them. Not because she didn't want to read them, but because of doing the podcast in this way. One person kind of knowing more than the other person. And it killed me because I knew you would love that. <laughs> you were I like, knew you would I love that. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, and it drove me crazy. Um, coming out of that airplane scene, which is a fantastic fight sequence, by the way. I love the, the moment with the golf club and he's swatting yeah, the beer yeah, cans yeah, yeah, at the yeah. guy to defend yeah. himself. And we get all the classic, you know, crossbow, stake to the heart, spear, all yeah. the things that they're trying to kill Cassidy with. I love the little bit, too, where he throws a broken champagne bottle into the guy's chest 
uh, and just before he's preparing to jump out because he knows that he's going to need a supply of blood when he hits the ground. He yeah. just tips the guy over and pours it into a water bottle. <laughs> yep. And then just <laughs> takes a that. huge swig of it's it. It's a Fiji water bottle, an empty Fiji water bottle. He just tips him over and just pours him into that and takes a swig, puts some sunglasses on, grabs an umbrella and then just goes for it. Here's what I found on the web for Fiji water bottle in the Fiji water bottle. He just. <laughs> Thank you, Siri. That's awesome. Um, so Siri wants to be on the podcast. Um, yeah. And, and coming out of that scene, um, it, we get such an amazing smash cut where he jumps out and he's falling towards earth and then right perfectly in that part of the frame. We just cut to Jesse throwing ketchup on his plate. <laughs> it's just like I've seen it three times and every time it's made me laugh. This uh, scene was kind of a throwaway scene for me. And I don't know if it meant to be or the, the, the man that was talking to them. Was that the mayor? It's the mayor. Okay. Who got punched in the face yep. defending the prairie dog. Yes. Yeah. So is he somebody that I need to be paying attention to? Um, I don't know. I think that is also a character that they made up for the show. Okay. Um, yeah, the town of Anvil and the show, I think is pretty much a direct, um, not a direct adaptation of another city in the comics, but it's pretty close. It's kind of a combination of two, one being the actual Anvil in the comics. Um, but I don't believe the mayor is is part of the comic books and he doesn't, he certainly doesn't play a huge part in any of the stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a character later that we will get to, um, in this episode that, that I think is going to become a bigger part of this season, uh, and the storyline that I think they're telling. Okay. Um, but yeah, this, this, uh, this whole scene was really, I think it was really about establishing the relationship of, Emily and Jesse because it's really sure. it's yeah. really their first interaction that we see them actually having a conversation so we get that dynamic that they've lived with for however long he's been in Anvil um, and that you kind of start to see that yeah like she's pushing away other men to spend time with Jesse mm -hmm. but it's not they don't put any romantic uh, undertones to this scene right it's just kind of allowing them to interact. Yeah. And I think that's really what it's about. Um, but yeah, it, it really, yeah, there's not much to that scene at all. Yeah. Um, we cut out of that to go back to Africa and we see, do you want to know these characters' names? Um, it, is it, it's Fiore and DeBlanc. Fiore and DeBlanc. Uh, okay. So I know I know nothing about these guys. Uh, at this point, all I can assume is that they're like investigators from the Vatican. That's literally all I got. Okay. Because the show gives you zilch in terms of who they are and who they're affiliated with. But you just know that they're investigating these very like violently religious things that are happening. They're following this yes. entity, whatever it is, yes. the voice of God, the actual presence of God, God himself, whatever. These two people, these two guys are following this thing around. So 
my immediately my immediate thought was like, okay, so they they might be from the Vatican. I don't know. Um, yeah, that I think uh, you'll get to know a lot more about them. I think in the second episode because on the next time on, um, it looks like I mean this episode ends with them saying it's here, and then the big pull out right, wide shot right. of the church in Anvil post service. So I think in the next episode you're really going to get. Uh, a lot more about why they are following this entity. Well, and there's also a part of me too that's like, why the hell is that one guy eating tea bags? Like, yeah, that that, that I, is that going to be explained? I, re- I remember you asked me that. Is that in the comments? I, I no. Oh, I can't. What the hell? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. That's so bizarre. Um, they have a penchant for something else in the comics, but not tea bags. Um, okay. That, yeah, that that's something that, that we'll have to wait and see if it's revealed because I don't want to spoil that. Um. But yeah, and then we come back to Anvil. Jesse is checking in on a kind old man named Walter, and he discovers that Tulip's back. Yeah. Um. I love that. That's kind of her introduction. Like. I saw her scene when they released it as like a teaser for the show. Uh, the scene that we get the after this, the, the scene in the car. I saw that too. Yes. Um, I saw that, but I really love that the setup for that was Jesse finding out that she's back in town and just being like, and just he's literally running out the door, just going, "Thanks for the warning, Walter." Yeah. Um, I thought that was a great little moment and a great introduction to a character because it automatically sets up that dynamic of. These two have history. He's really trying to avoid her, even though we don't know why. And, you know, she's back and maybe doesn't or maybe wants to talk to him about something. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a great little moment. And then we get that transition on the song of uh, Clouds of My Coffee to the scene in the car. Yeah. Um, Again, what did you think of this scene? Because this is. This is the first time you get to meet Tulip. I have a lot of feelings about Tulip. Um, I want to preface all of it by saying that I um, briefly flipped through one of the comics that you bought one day. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of flipped through it. So I know what she looks like in the comics. I know that she is Caucasian, blonde haired, blue eyed. Um, I can't say enough how happy I am that they did not go with that route with this interpretation of Tulip. Um, I think there is something to be said about the scene when she meets these two young kids, when she sort of crash lands into their yard and the kid just goes awesome. awesome and he has like a lisp and it's the cutest thing. But what I love so much about this whole sequence start to finish from the fight scene in the car through a cornfield to her crashing into the yard of these two kids who are home alone and then getting out and just without skipping a beat saying, you know, do you guys like arts and crafts? Like I've got to build a bazooka basically because these people are coming for me. Uh, Who these people are, I don't know personally me like Brit. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love that. She's just that type of person that she's always thinking on her feet. She's smart as a whip. She's resourceful. And I think that they 
that I think that they took the care and consideration to to race bend this character and then to have this extra added moment of there being a little girl looking up to a woman of color with such admiration, I think is I, I have chills talking about it. I think it's one of the best moments on television that I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. Um, Ruth Nega knocks it out of the park. She's so charming. I mean, from the minute she steps out of that car and the little girl says, like, you can't be here. Um, you can't just you can't just drive through fields of corn like this. You're in big trouble. And all she says is like cause mayhem and kill people. Just kill people. And you're you're in big trouble. And all Tulip says is, oh, I know. And she just has this smile on her face. Like it's the most charming thing you've ever seen. Um, This sequence, uh, one thing in particular that I noted about it was that of any scene in the show, uh, any scene of this episode so far, rather, uh, it seemed to me the most uh, drawn from a comic book. Almost every frame reminded me of a comic book frame, uh, right down to the moment when she's talking about, um, because, oh, and they have this great exchange, uh, Tulip and the little girl have this great exchange where the little girl says, you know, you don't. Because the, the, the little boy says, well, why don't you call your boyfriend and have him come fight the bad guys? And the little girl says, you don't need, you know, we don't need a stupid boy to fight our battles for us. And Tulip says, that's exactly right. You know, it's important that boys and girls both understand that they can do things on their own. They can stand on their own two feet. They can fight their own battles. And especially if you fall in love, because you have to be able to, you know, if somebody that you fall in love with is stupid or selfish, you have to be able to hunt them down and eat them alive. Yeah, that whole monologue goes in a direction. I just <laughs> okay, so I'm trying to itemize how I talk about this because I have so many feelings about it. <laughs> so basically, the monologue about eating someone you love alive is great because it's like, oh, it's so sweet, and then she turns she turns it on its head by uh, turns it on its head by saying, uh, "You have to find that person, you have to hunt them down, and you have to eat them alive." You're like, wait, what? <laughs> but I also love the moment um, that comes right out of that too, where right. she realizes that she scared these children. Yeah, so then, then she just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which is so great. Um, But no, she has this beautiful moment with this this really, really lovely connection with the little girl, especially, um, which is just basically like, you're right. You don't need a man to do any of this shit for you. I'm going to build a bazooka and take care of it myself. Like, I think that's such a great moment. And uh, coming immediately out of that, she's she's built this bazooka for these two little kids and uh, walk them through the whole process and then yeah. coming right out of that she's put them in a safe place and basically said okay like stay down here don't come out until the noise is over uh, and just takes down a fucking helicopter with a homemade bazooka with a bunch of metal with a army, bunch of men, metal army men shot yeah. for shot this whole sequence was, was comic book panels um, right down to there's this beautiful shot of her uh, where you can see the two kids in the reflection of her glasses uh-huh. and the way that it's established, it's it's beautiful because it literally looks like a panel out of a comic. Mm-hmm. Um, moving forward after that, coming the, the two kids coming out of the out of the basement. That's the shot. And there's that a for shot me is very much like it's very comic book. Is yeah, the are you talking about they, the shot of the pilot, the helicopter pilot? He's got the soldiers he's got in the his shul- face, and they're yeah, in the, got they're these, in the like, deep background. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that that was a moment to me that's sequence, like screamed comic book. Yes, this whole sequence, almost shot for shot, is straight out of a comic book, which I loved because it's so dynamic, and it establishes this. For me, anyway, it it informed me that this is a character that is powerful, 
poppy, dynamic. She's got her own thing going on. There's nothing soft about her. Like she is very much the focal point of each of these established frames because there was just this I there was just this look to it that made it seem like this is the tulip show. You need to sit up and pay attention. Like, <laughs> this is important. Watch this scene. Yeah. Um, I love her. I was grinning like a fool from ear to ear anytime she was on camera. And like I said, this that beautiful ending to that scene when she's leaving and she's, you know, she's getting in the car and the little girl, you know, is looking at her with such reverence and such admiration. She's got this giant smile on her face because it's like, who knows? I lo- yeah, I who love knows that they the do... last time a woman came busting into this little girl's life like this? And then it's oh like, yeah, her mom, her mom her was mom's, dead. Her mom's dead. Yeah, yeah, her mom's gone. Mom was dead. Um, and that it, I think that it's, I think there's something to be said culturally. I think there's something to be said for representation. That tulip is no longer blonde-haired, blue-eyed. It's this powerful, quirky, fun, dynamic woman of color that is. That is inspiring this young girl. I think there's something to be said for representation. It's great. I love it. I love it. I love it. Tulip is so awesome. I love her. I'm smiling like an idiot talking about her. She's so badass. She's just so much fun. Yeah. Um, Which is a change a little bit from the comic book. Yeah. So talk to me about Tulip in the comics. Because like I don't. I know fuck all about Tulip in the comics. Tulip in the comics is um, every bit as capable um, she's pretty much just about that violent. Uh, when we first meet her, she is a, she's performing a hit, um, in the comics. Um, in a similar way, it has something to do with a car, uh, but it's not associated with, well, she has that moment where she's, uh, she kills the guy with the <laughs> the shuck of corn, which <laughs> yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Um, she goes that guy and then she bends down. And it's like, give me back my map. Uh, when we meet her in the comics, that is not any, in any way associated with what she's doing. Uh, she's literally just performing a hit. She's a hit woman. Um, and it's cause she knows how to handle a gun. Um, so she has that level of capability, but she's much less feisty um i'm trying to think of how to approach this without spoiling anything uh her relationship with jesse ending kind of left her a a bit shell-shocked in a way and then when she runs into him at the very beginning of the comic book she did she doesn't play hurt or anything else she is every bit as angry as this tulip um but the way she's been living her life has been much more of i just want to live a normal life i kind of want to just be yeah and it seems like this tulip is very much invested in still this one's a little bit more unhinged sure yeah um so it's an interesting interesting adaptation from that standpoint okay let alone that they you know they race bennett um but that they are transferring her, her character to kind of be the driving force of trying to get Jesse back into whatever their business was. Interesting. Um, that w- that was really fun to see. But I mean, she's just so much fun. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And honestly, Tulip in the comics is not a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. She's an incredibly capable woman. She's, for the most part, really well written. Mm-hmm. Uh but she's not, she's not this level of fun. And I just love that line of when she's getting back into the car after she's down the helicopter and she's just like, <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry about, about all, all the, the fun. Yeah. She just literally just shrugs and gestures at this like mayhem that she's left in her wake, which is so exciting. I can't, I can't wait to see Tulip and Cassidy interact. Like I'm already living for whatever scenes they have in store for us with those two. Cause those two, Oh, oh, the sassiest. You I, don't know what you wish I for. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, um, so yeah, then we get a, a short moment coming out of that little uh, awesome moment. Uh, Jesse pulling up to Queen Cannon meets and power. Um. He pulls up to that, and then we cut over really quickly to see where Cassidy ended up, which is, sure enough, he's a ketchup splat in the middle of a cow field. <laughs> cow pasture. Yeah. That's the word for that. Um, yeah. And he, he's, he's out of blood. He's in really bad shape. His umbrella's not working. And then he charms a cow into coming over to him. <laughs> it's the only way to really put that. He just gets a cow, and then he he finally gets him some himself some blood. Um, I love that shot, the way that it's done, where it pans down from the t-shirt, uh, or pans down from the birds first, and then past the t-shirt, and then down over to him. Mm-hmm. So we see later when we see him in costume, it's just like yeah, he's just stolen all these clothes off the right. line. Yeah, you know he's he's yeah. fully assembled himself now, and then. He's back in action. You can't yeah. you can't keep a good man down. Um, or a vampire for that matter. Or a vampire with access to blood. Um, so Jesse is at Quinn Cannon Meets. This was a um, scene that you especially loved uh, for the sound design. You really, I loved it you for really the sound design because the there's some perfectly scene. timed cow moves. Some cow sounds. And then gunshots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that plays off the dialogue in the scene really well. So yeah. if you go back and watch this episode, really crank up the volume and listen to what's happening in the in the background mm-hmm. of this scene, and then how it plays off of the dialogue that's being done. Yeah, um, it just it's so funny. Whoever whoever designed the sound for this episode, kudos. Yeah. That was absolutely fantastic yeah. to put those little punchlines in there for these. Things that aren't necessarily jokes, but then right. they turn them into jokes just with a sound effect. Just with a sound effect, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was it's great. A, it's like a really mature, artsy way of doing a fart joke. Like a really well-timed fart joke. Kind of, which is pretty perfect for Seth Rogen and Which is Evan pretty Goldberg. perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you for Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. It's perfect. Yeah. Like there's this nice little moment where, you know, Jesse is talking to, uh, to um, the wife, Betsy. Betsy. And he's like, you know, the whole like beating thing. And, uh, you know, he asked her, like, would you be willing to go to the sheriff about this? And so she explains to him, no, I actually enjoy that my husband beats the shit out of me. Uh, And there's this nice Uh, little pause. Beating the shit out of her is the wrong phrasing for that. I think what Jesse assumed was beating the shit out of her was actually not actually beating the shit out of her. It was more of like this very like sadosexual thing that was happening. With the, like, beating her with a jump rope, biting her, 
scalding her with a tea kettle. Like it's very, very sadomasochistic. Like yeah, the horrifying shit that she's super into. Um, all of that to say, there's this nice little pause where she says, "I like it," and then the and then there's like a cut to Jesse's face. But in the background, very faintly, you can hear a cow like dying. It's, it's a it's, it's a moo and then a like gunshot. A and then a gunshot. It's perfectly timed. And if you blink or if you're not listening, rather, then you'd miss it. But yeah, it's, it's a, a wonderful little moment. That's sort of like a little hidden thing. If you're not if you're not paying attention, then you'd miss it. But yeah, it's a, a the sound upon design. second or third rewatch, you'll catch it. So great. Um, so this character, that whole family, um, as far as I know right now, from the evidence that I have before me, mm-hmm. uh, this family is not in the comics. Oh, okay. I think that she is a stand-in for someone that is in the comics. Okay. And that is... That's so interesting. Pretty much due to her proclivities. Oh. And the fact where she works. Okay. Um, and people who have read the comics probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, which we'll see. I'm I'm really excited. I think next week we're going to get to meet Odin Quincannon, uh, who we've talked about a little bit, Jack Earl Haley. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, talk to me in three weeks. <laughs> okay. Noted. Then, Noted. Hey, we'll you know see, what? We'll see how excited I'm you are. used to that reaction with people. Like when I say Jack Earl Haley is one of my actors, they're like, Really? You like that guy? And I'm like, Yeah, he's one of my dudes. Like, no, I, I love, I love Jack Earl Haley. Like, really? But what about this movie? And I'm like, Yeah, what about it? He was brilliant. <laughs> Come at me, bro. No, I love Jack Earl Haley. It's th- his character in this story well you know me i'll still probably find a reason to like him (laughs) i will be very impressed if you do but i'm also going to be very impressed if they actually do what he is in the comics okay sure okay Um, that's all we're gonna say yeah yep leave it alone moving on i love this moment where jesse tries to do the right thing and he tries to help someone out and it blows up in his face so spectacularly in a way that he could never have planned for right um you know he's trying to do the right thing and it's like you know what? Just sometimes people just they're into some weird shit and you just you got to let them have it. You know, that's that's that moment. I just I think that's a really funny thing for a that that that's something that I wish a lot more people of faith would be accepting of is that people are just into different things than they would consider normal. And I feel like this show is that's one of the things that they are attempting to address in the way that they handle their religious issues absolutely, is they took our assumptions about what is really going on here and they flipped it on its head and said like, no, this is actually just something that she likes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is not anything malicious. Right. Um, We do consenting adults. We do still see that later, like her husband is an asshole. Like he is. Oh yeah, for sure. He's not a good dude. No, but he's not, he's not a monster. Yeah. She knows what he is. She's consenting to it. She likes it. It's it works for them. So, you know, different strokes. Yeah. And he just kind of sits back and is just like, "Okay, well, I completely misjudged this situation. Interesting. Yeah. Um, And coming out of that whole uh, misunderstanding, we get another moment of Fiore and DeBlanc. Now they're in Russia. Mm hmm. 
Um, and they're at a Satanist church, which... That's so interesting to me. Did you me. notice the, like the progression of yes. how things went? So they started in a yes. Christian church. In this scene, they're in a Satanist, Satanist church. church. Then we have Tom Cruise's head exploding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've, I'm really... And then we end up in a small town Southern church. Yeah. Which is so interesting because it's not Southern Baptist. Like it's very like... I don't know how big Baptist... Or in, in Texas. Texas. That, that's what I was wondering, too. Like, that was definitely something I thought about. Because, like, where we are, which we're in Tennessee, Southern Baptist is pretty much the predominant thing here. Um, so I was wondering that about Texas. Like, is Catholicism that big of a thing? Is he a Catholic uh, he's not. He's not Catholic. So what is he? Um, I think, I mean, I think it's partially the preacher caller is slightly deceptive. Really? Um, he, yeah, because that was really address it in the comic book, but he's not, uh he's not Catholic, but he still wears a Catholic priest. He wears the collar. collar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. But I don't think he, uh, yeah, he's, he's not Catholic. And that's one thing that they really did, um, well in the comic in my opinion is there. I mean the sign outside of the church is all saints congregation um, saints are typically a part of the iconography from from a catholic church right um, saints are yes so he, that's what I'm wondering is like is is he a catholic is this but, but if he was catholic then he would technically be like what a priest he'd be a he'd catholic be a priest priest i think he's more of like um like a lutheran okay or maybe even like a methodist sure that's another big thing in the south mm-hmm. um i don't know it's never really specifically addressed in the comic book yeah um anyway off of that rabbit trail i thought that progression was really interesting that this it, it gives you a little bit of a hint as to what that thing is. Um, that it's trying out all these different things and not just going to um, Christian preachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that's really fun, and I think it's a fun little clue uh, for those that want to try to piece it together. Um, next, we catch up with Jesse and Tulip um, catching up on Lover's Hill. Is that an ear? <laughs> yeah, I'd, that, I'd love that line. No, it's a little bit of shawarma. Um, this, I I really love the, um, the pacing of the dialogue in this scene. Um, just the way that you see their interaction coming about, like, their past coming into play into their where they are currently. Um, and then the, there's one moment that's like, I can, I can tell they ADR'd it, it kind of bothers me because mm-hmm. you can, you can see that neither of their jaws are moving, mm-hmm. but they're both speaking. It's, it's kind of, that's just one of those filmmaker nitpicks, but it's a pilot. Yes, it is a pilot. <laughs> it's a pilot episode. And, but the performances in this scene are great. I love the interaction where she's like, oh, you cut your hair. Um, what'd you do? Stick your finger in a light socket and then smacks him upside the head. <laughs> and he kind of like looks offended at first and then kind of smiles. You see that they kind of have this little, a little bit of a combative 
relationship. Like these are these are two people that can take and give a punch. And that's how that's kind of how they work. And I love that they just do it through these little small moments. Yeah. And not some big blow up fight of like, you know, you did this so long ago and da 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 and you know, she doesn't eat him alive in this scene mm-hmm. as she references earlier. She kind of flirts with him. Um, but that baggage is still revealed. And then, you know, they have the conversation of, she's like, I'm so glad we hate each other. And he's like, I, I can't hate you. I wouldn't know how, uh, it's just a really sweet moment between two characters that are going to continue to interact through, um, through the coming episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, what did you think about this? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I thought it was just a, it was, it was not as a, it was not as hard of a hitting scene as when we first meet Tulip, obviously. Um, well, as it's not meant to be, it's duh. not meant to be, yeah. it's meant to be a, a little bit more subdued. Uh, it's giving us a little bit more mystery and intrigue to work with in terms of the nature of their relationship, how far they go back, what they've done together what they might still do together and what he's sort of fighting by uh, her presence. Um, Like what her presence means and what he's fighting because of it. Um, So I was, I was mostly just intrigued. I I thought it was a really well-played scene between two people who clearly have a shit ton of history uh, and a lot to talk about, but they won't actually ever talk about it because they're both very stubborn people. Um, so that's always really intriguing and fun to watch, uh, and also really frustrating at the same time because you're yeah. like, just say what you want to say for fuck's sake. But um, I think they are though. That's the that's kind of the beauty of this scene is it's so it's so it's so honest but also layered. Sure. Well, yeah. No, absolutely. Which if you, it's that classic thing of talking to the 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 one that got away, right? It's this. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes unsaid. But you also say a lot without really saying much at all. Um, yeah. Which was uh, conveyed in that those two actors were just beautifully directed. And it was great writing, too. So top to bottom, it was a great scene in terms of performance. Um, it gave me a lot to chew on and to think about, for sure. But I can't say that I've come to any conclusions about the nature of their relationship or what it is they did together that's haunting uh, each of them. Or more specifically, Jesse, because I don't think that Tulip is so much haunted as Jesse is. Um, I think she's searching for her companion again. Sure. Yeah, I think she's. You know, the way we see her react yeah. when he walks away and she, you know, shouts out, "We are who we are." Yeah. Um, she just wants she wants her companion back. Yeah. Um, There's a sense of comfort in that. Oh, totally. Yeah. Having somebody that's as fucked up as you are around, like there's a there's a sense of security there sense of belonging well and that's um, a, that's one of the reasons i think they kind of amped up her i don't want to say amped up her crazy but um made her a little bit more unhinged and mm-hmm. sure. sarcastic and sure. feisty yeah um i think they did that because it's it is closer to you know probably what jesse's past was yeah and the thing that he's kind of um got to pick my words so carefully um the thing that he is hoping to avoid 
Um, but you said you had a lot to chew on in that scene. How's this for a segue? In the next scene, we get to meet Eugene. Oh, buddy. Who can't chew anything. I really, really love this character a lot. What's his name? Arseface. Arseface. Yes. I refuse to call him that. I'm going to call him Eugene because he is a sweet baby who should be protected at all costs. Oh, Lord, you have so much to experience. He's a precious cinnamon roll, and I love him. He's great. He's he's adorable. I love love the actor that plays him. Um, He just plays it so sweet. There is a part of me, though, that I, there is, and the show, again, with writing and direction and the performance, the performers themselves do a fantastic job of establishing these characters who you immediately, on the surface, want to root for. But then, upon second viewing, you kind of start to pick up on the little nuances and something in the way that they're written Uh that makes you think, Okay, so something went down with this person that probably wasn't great. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm just gonna choose to love them right now until they give me a reason to be disappointed. <laughs> um, well, that scratches something off my list so of I, notes for this scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely did pick up that there was something that that Eugene is. I'm going to say the word atoning for, but you probably, knowing what you know, may not agree with. No, I think that's an appropriate word. If there's an element of atonement that's happening. But yes, I definitely picked up on that there is something that Eugene is atoning for. Something that happened that was very uh, likely very violent and very brutal. Probably something that he caused himself. Because he makes sure to talk a lot about God not forgiving him. Yeah, God. And he wants to know if God holds a grudge. Every time I've watched this scene, it has made me cry because that is a plight that I think, especially as a, as, as a Christian, as a God-fearing person, anyone that believes in God, I think, like, can identify with at some point in your life there's been a moment where you have felt like God is not listening anymore because yeah. you've just fucked up so royally that he refuses to hear anything you have to say. Um, so that was a that was a very heartbreaking scene for me to watch. Um, it was very emotional, and I owe that. I credit that to Ian Coletti because he just, he's great. Yeah, he um, knocked it out of the park as our one, space. One might feel like he could be hindered by the prosthetics, and there there are heavy prosthetics. Um, but he does such... His eyes are so expressive. His body language conveys everything that he's trying to convey with words that he maybe can't. Um, he's he does so a, earnest. That's the thing I so love earnest. about him. He's yes. so earnest. He does such a great job. Um, it's hard not to feel emotionally really um, sympathetic for this character. Oh man. But it's, then yeah. watching it again and kind of paying attention to what he's saying, you're a little bit like something's not quite right here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm going to choose to love you right now because as 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 you're presented to me right now, you're a sympathetic character, but you're probably going to be a horrible person at some oh, point. Oh man, I can't wait I can't wait for you to yeah, to find out his backstory. Um Yeah, no, I'm excited. He 
he's a he's a great character. Um, it's interesting to me that he is talking to Jesse now, because Sheriff Root and Arseface do not live in the same town as Jesse when Jesse gets possessed in the comic book. Oh. They don't have a pre-existing relationship. Okay. Um, so that's going to be very interesting to see how they handle that whole dynamic. Um, but it was such a sweet scene. I love that they subtitled him. Yeah. yeah. So in the comic book, he has his speech bubbles mm-hmm. and it's written out like all slurred mm-hmm. and muffled. <laughs> and then in the corner, it'll have a box and it has the translation and they subtitled him in a comic book. It's so great. I love that they did that. Um, I think it's just like there. Uh, there's something to be said for his delivery when he's talking about, you know, I used to pray and he would talk to me, and now it's just real quiet. Um, did Dominic, you notice Dominic Cooper yeah. has this beautiful reaction to that, where without saying a word, you see it all in his face, where he immediately recognizes that feeling. He knows what that's like. To, yeah, it, to he, pray to something that you believe in intensely or that you're supposed to believe in intensely uh, and to not hear anything for it to be very quiet. Um, yeah. The way I describe that look is, it's just like, it's not just me. Yeah. No, is it's what not. is what he realizes well, in that it's moment. A mixture, it's not just me. Like it's that, like that, that scene starts out that way where it's this really nice thing of the realization of it's not just me. And then when he has to, he has to minister to this, to this kid who's asking, does God hold grudges? And he has to basically lie because he doesn't know because at this yeah. point his whole faith is questioned. So he can't say for sure or not if God holds grudges. It's this really lovely moment that Dominic Cooper as an actor has where he basically has to lie as a preacher to this kid and say God doesn't hold grudges. And then Eugene's reaction is so it's so sincere and it's so earnest of he's just like you promise like. Are you sure? I, see, I don't think that it's necessarily that Jesse thinks that God holds a grudge against him. No, I don't think he's lying. No, I think he's lying and saying that he knows for sure that God doesn't hold grudges. I think that he's lying because he himself doesn't know. Because he himself is wondering, does God hold a grudge against me? No, and that's I don't, an, I don't and that's th- a question I disagree, he can't answer. I disagree answer. with that reading. Um, I read it that way. I felt like he... I think he just he feels that God is not there. Um, he said, you know, he has that moment with the kid earlier where he says, he says, you know, pray for me, preacher, and he says, I would if anyone were listening. Um, you know, and then here he has the moment with Ars face where he basically has to, I he has to reassure this kid because he feels that what this kid needs in this moment is something to believe in. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah, which I think, I'm not, I'm not debating that. I do think he, he definitely gives him something that he feels he needs, but I think it's also coming from a place of, he's also not sure because at the end of the episode, he has a moment where he's like, okay, let's give it one more shot. Like, no, but I don't, still but a I don't, part of him that's hanging on to some, to something at least. That's how I feel anyway. Yeah, but I think, I mean, the way that they've built in the flashbacks and thing, I think the thing that he's hanging on to is his dad saying, you know, you got to be one of the good guys. And we, and we as Custers, we don't, we don't stand down. We don't forfeit. 
we fight. You know, it's literally his dad's last words to him. And I think that's where that final change comes to him. But he's also in that moment, there's a sound cue that tells you it's a little bit of what is in him now and not just Jesse standing on his own. Um, and we get that awesome moment later on in the church where he, you know, he tells God that like one more time, you know, just for old time's sake. And then he says, yeah, I thought not. And then sits back, lights a cigarette and says, fuck you too. Um, and then you see his face when that, when whatever it is Mm -hmm. comes in, he's, he doesn't believe, I think he's stopped believing in God at all. Um, and I loved his reaction when Arsface says, you know, I used to, I used to hear him talk back and lately it's just all quiet because it's that realization of like, you know, too, but especially being a reader of the comic that is okay. So that that's, might that's inform something. you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All that's right. Well something. then let's not talk about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, but yeah. my it's reading just, of that yeah. scene was completely different. Than okay. Yours. All right. Yeah. <laughs> as is to be expected. I tried sure. to explain it the best I could just through character. Okay, but I yeah. had to go. You had to go there. That's fine. It's brush fine. up against those spoilers. It's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it's a, yeah, after he consoles Arseface, Jesse needs a drink. Uh, we get Tom Cruise exploding. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which has got to be one of the best. Um, Tom Cruise sudden laughs. Dead. Yeah, just a, just a really quick joke that if somebody just said that out loud in normal life, it would just cause you to bust out laughing. We were watching laughing. it, and it was just like, I just, I, I, it's like a voiceover. Tom Cruise is dead, and I was like, what? Are you, wait, what? Yeah, they went there. Yeah, they went there. Yeah, they killed Tom Cruise. Um, so yeah, Jesse, Jesse needs a drink. Cassidy comes in. Has no idea where he is. Uh, we get a little bit of a clue in this scene as to what is going on with Cassidy, uh, who those people were that were searching for him. Right. And, um, who, and who are the people that he calls? Uh, I. They're also their fellow Irishmen. I could I could take a wild guess okay. between about like four or five different people. Okay. Um, but I, honestly, I have no idea. Okay, cool. It's good um, to know that you're just as in the dark. As I'm in the dark because that... Uh, that's not really something that's dealt with in the comics, especially at this point. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm saying like there's certain ways I could see them adapting it and kind sure. of channeling a storyline into something else, but okay. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Um, so Jesse and Cassidy meet, uh, one little Easter egg for comic readers. Um, should I plug my ears? No, the, the whiskey that Cassidy picks up and we see a reference to it earlier or we see a shot of it earlier in the episode that Jesse is also drinking that type of whiskey uh, is named after a town in the old west that a certain character comes from. So it's just a cool little Easter egg and the silhouette on the bottle is actually directly from a panel in the comic. Wow. Yeah. Good eye. It's pretty cool. Uh, well, it's just it's one of my favorite characters. Um, so I, I, yeah, I really hope they get to that at some point, and it's not just a reference on a whiskey bottle. Is all they do with it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a that's a little comic book readers go back and 
look at that and you'll you'll get a chuckle out of it. Um, Jesse gets in a fight with uh, Betsy's husband. Um, Donnie. I really love that shot where you see Dominic Cooper punch the guy and he goes from a really serious face and then he gets just a slight smirk. It slow-mos into a smirk. Yeah. You see that he he really like he misses this. Yeah. He kind of misses being a rubble rouser. Um, Yeah. This fight scene is great. I love the moment where Cassidy helps him out uh, with the chair. Just gives the kick, knocks the guy down, and Jesse turns back, and he just kind of is like, hey, you know, good on you. Um, they both get arrested. They have their first serious conversation, uh, and they kind of get to kind of feel each other out just a little bit, um, which was great. I really love that moment because these characters, they, they end up becoming best friends, um, and it's just that having that be their first interaction as they both get arrested together is great. Uh, cause it's definitely not that in the comic book. It's, okay. a, it's a totally different situation. Okay. Okay. Good enough. Um, Oh, poor Emily in this next scene. Uh, Emily bails Jesse out. Uh, Jesse tells her he's quitting. He just can't do it anymore. Uh, you know, he's kind of lost the faith. He, this is probably a bad idea for him to have ever even come back. Um, and here's where we start to get the real kind of romantic undertones to their relationship. You can kind of see the hope, uh, the hope in her eyes die, but she remains strong through the whole scene until he leaves. Um, I cannot get over how perfect and how awful that line is where he says, you've really just been such an asset. Like that just stings <laughs> for Emily. That's got, oh, that just has to sting. Welcome to the friend zone. <laughs> oh God. It's so it's, it, it pains me every time I hear him say that. Um, it's like, I feel so bad for her. This is another one of those. Cause there's so things. many words that he could have chosen yeah. other than that. And it's just yeah. like, this is another scene too where the sound design really comes into play in a really fantastic way. Yeah, the video game system. Because there's like a video game that the kids are playing on the iPad while Jesse and Emily are talking. And in these like perfectly timed pauses, some sort of affirmation from the video game will like come up. So it's like, you've been such an asset. And then there's like a silence. And then the video game goes, awesome job (laughs) and it's like adding insult to injury right where it's like it because it get it gives you a little bit of a perspective into emily's thought process where it's like that moment where she has to hear that and then she literally has to hear her children's ipad game say awesome job level up level up it's so it's so uncomfortable so it adds this nice little tone of just weird you're kind of feeling icky and uncomfortable the whole time. It adds that nice little layer into it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one thing that could be just a huge rabbit trail, but I wonder if the filmmakers ever thought about um, using that sound design. Cause a lot of that sound design comes when Jesse is having interactions. Yes. Yeah. And these sound designs are almost guiding him. It's a, they're commenting on his yeah. actions with yeah. other people. Yeah. Uh, but they don't do that 
with any other character. No, it's just his, and it's, it's not just even his. Yeah, yeah, and it's not something that's from his perspective. It's like if he's interacting with someone else, and that sound design happens, it's their. It's within the connotation of their discussion or their stance when it comes to Jesse. Yeah, and I wonder, which if, is so fascinating. It's so interesting. I wonder it's if a nice they're using that. Yeah, I wonder if they're using that as something as to. Um, you know, when it does get down to whether or not he does have faith, mm-hmm. um, the voices that he's been listening to and whether or mm-hmm. not that, you know, there could be a moment where, you know, somebody says, uh, you know, I was that whole thing with the, the, there were two sets of footsteps or two uh, sets of footprints in the sand. And mm-hmm. at times there were only one. And mm-hmm. what happened when there was only one? It was like, I was well, it's, I was you. carrying you. It's, yeah. I wonder if that's, um, something that they might play off of mm-hmm. um as the mm-hmm. you know the mm-hmm. the religious undertones become overtones <laughs> i have another i have another uh, uh um theory about the way the sound design worked in this episode but we'll get to it um towards the end okay um so yeah it, jesse tells emily he's gonna quit um she smashes the ipad it's really sad heartbreaking moment but you just see how heartbroken she is mm-hmm. um this man that she really wants to um kind of come into her life and support it in a bigger way um is gonna leave her and that's that's sad um jesse gets another talk, call from ted <laughs> the always annoying ever-present ted and uh, he cuts it short because he sees the church door open. Um, none of the lights turn on. Jesse kind of has his last ditch effort as at trying to salvage some sort of faith. Um, he... I mean, how, how do you feel? How do you feel about this scene? Do you th- do you feel like he's actually trying to salvage it, or if he's just, I'm asking this question and I already know the answer. How, like, how genuine do you feel that he? How, where do you feel like he is on his walk? I guess you would, to put it in Sunday school terms. <laughs> yeah, right. Where are you in your walk with Christ? Um, upon second watch, like my second rewatch of this episode, I definitely approached it differently than the first time I watched it. Um, performance wise, I felt that, uh, the performance was informed by, this was a man who had just basically through the course of a couple of days, really been challenged in a way that he hadn't been challenged in quite a while. Um, he was asked to reaffirm a deformed young man's faith. Um, he was asked to step into and intervene in a situation where he thought a woman was being abused, but she wasn't. He was confronted by her husband because of it. And he, he lost <laughs> and he lost and he lost control. Yeah. Uh, he lost control and he beat the shit out of the guy and he wound up in jail. A place that he probably hasn't been in for a minute. Which, that, so, the bar fight and then him getting arrested 
and then um, kind of the morning after. They shifted some things around in there. That's basically how it goes down in the comic books. It's slightly different. There's not as big of a bar fight. Uh, Jesse doesn't look like a badass. Cassidy is not there. Um, it's uh, He basically gets drunk one night, goes into the local watering hole, and he's just been... People have been telling him all these awful things about the town for so long. Uh, things like, you know, such and such beats his wife and stuff like that. People have been telling him all this stuff for so long and it's just all weighing on him. And then no one ever comes to his church um, to actually listen to anything that he has to say. So he's just very isolated, very alone. He's, he's a guy that's already carrying a lot of baggage. And he goes in drunk and just calls everyone on their shit. Starts just spreading the town gossip to everyone. Um, gets the shit kicked out of him. Ends up in jail. Um, goes to give his sermon the next day. And that's when whatever this is possesses him. Okay. Um. So no Cassidy, no Tulip. Okay. And also when it possesses him, the church explodes. Okay. So that's probably where they got the stuff at the beginning. Sure. Of the episode. Um, but it explodes and it kills the entire town because the entire town showed up the next day to hear his sermon after being arrested. Oh my God. So that's, that's, that's wow. where they've seriously pivoted this show. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. And they're actually going to give us characters to hang on to. And that's where Sheriff Root, like Sheriff Root and Arseface, like I told you. They're they, not in the town, so they weren't killed. Yeah. Um, and that's how Sheriff Root comes into it is he starts to, in the comic book, he is looking for whoever did this to this town. Oh, yeah. That and so that's sense. why that's yeah, why he yeah. starts chasing Jesse. Okay. Um, that's how that interaction happens. But here we get it slightly different. Jesse has his last test of faith um, and then gets possessed. And the way I read that interaction is like he's just had this moment where he's asked God for a sign. Didn't get anything in response. You know, says, fuck you too. And then this ball of energy enters the church. <laughs> it goes right up to him. And Dominic Cooper's face in that moment is perfect um, for how that interaction, <laughs> for how that sequence of events would go, I feel like, in real life, if that were to ever happen. Um, you know, to have a moment where you lay it all on the line, you don't get what you want, and then something really crazy outside of every, everything that you ever thought possible happens. You know, you would be standing there dumbfounded the cigarette hanging out the side of your mouth. Um, it was a great little moment. Uh, we He wakes up three days later on a Sunday. Emily's there. I love how bashful she is when he stands up in his boxers. She's kind of like, oh, no, I, I, I'm sorry. I can't look at you. And then um, Cassidy has moved into the attic <laughs> of the church. He's to fix the AC. To fix the AC. There's a reason. There's a reason for it. And he's, you can hear him screaming and pounding on it 
As um, only an Irishman can do. Yes. Um, and then uh, they kind of rush out to go to the service. Uh, Ted confronts Jesse one last time. Um, did you really, did you understand what was happening in this moment? Uh, when it occurred? In what moment? What are you talking about? When Ted um, is telling him about his mother oh, yes. and Jesse yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. stops and says, yeah, for the last time. Yeah, it's the power of Christ compels you. Like it's 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 the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I got that. Yeah. But did you know what was coming next? Um, No, I did not know that he was going to take it so literally. It's, it's took it pretty literally. That is it's a perfect. And when Jesse uses the power in the comic book, it's pretty laid out like it's literal. And they they kind of they meet that out in, um, you know, first time he uses it, he tells somebody to stop what they're doing mm-hmm. and they stop what they're doing. And that's simple enough. What he starts commanding people to do later on down the line is gets crazier and crazier and crazier, but it's always literal. Like the person cannot take it any other way than literal. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a way just the brilliant direction of the episode. I, I knew that I knew it was probably going to be really bad, but there was still the innocent side of me that was just like, Oh, he's just going to be really honest with her and tell her how he feels. And I just, I, I forgot I like I didn't put two and two together. It's like, Oh, he's literally going to rip his heart out of his chest Yep, <laughs> because he says, open your heart. Oh man, that, that moment was so, it's, I, I love this show. I think, you know, I can't wait for it to get weirder, but it's, it's an example. Like everyone I've told to watch this show, they always text me right after that moment and they just go, wait, what? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, this is this kind of TV show. It's just going to get weird and violent and you're just going to have to deal with it. (laughs) Um, just let it happen. Uh, Jesse gives his speech about how he can't quit, um, you know, slightly motivated by a flashback of his father being shot in the head, um, you know, and his last words being say like being, we fight. Um, so Jesse doesn't give up. One of the things that I really loved is the, the word association that they do with the cross cutting here. Um, Jesse says at the beginning that you know, to, uh, to calm the restless. And it's a shot of Jesse who we've seen being very restless and confused and, you know, directionless through the whole episode. Um, you know, defending the innocent and it's our face being picked on by a bunch of other high school kids, um, to calm the wrathful. And it's a shot of Tulip painting her nails sitting on a map, which, for comic book readers, take a second look at that map. You'll see the Easter egg. There's a very interesting location on that map. Um, uh, and then he says, you know, to got, to lend guidance to the lost. Yeah. And it's Cassidy. And you see Cassidy kind of stick his hand out in the sunlight and it light on fire. Um, which is great. That's a... You were talking about vampire mythology earlier. It's not so much like exploding when sunlight hits them, which is classic vampire 
they just kind of he kind of catches fire right um which is different and then uh there's a moment where jesse says you know and to speak the word of god and then it cuts right back to ted and he has his moment with his mom i just really i love that dynamic because they they kind of outline for you who these characters are along this way and then how jesse is going to treat each of them and then preceding the the ted scene it cuts back to Jesse with him saying all these things I'm responsible for, uh, which is really. Yeah, it's right after. It's right Ted after cut, Ted has cut his own heart out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. It's definitely an interesting word association game that they play with that sequence um, that lends a lot of. Um, I mean, it definitely lends a lot of levity to that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the episode ends um, with Fiore and DeBlanc having made their way to Anvil and have found it. Um, and they refer to it as it. Uh, keep, still keeping that little secret of what exactly they are chasing and what exactly Jesse has inside of him. Um, yeah, that's the end of the episode. Um, so you loved it. Yes. Right? You're officially a Preacher fan. I am, yes. Good. Yes. I, <laughs> I love this episode. I've, like, I've just been waiting for you to experience this story and these characters for yeah. so long. I'm fine. I'm glad it's finally here. Yeah, it's here. It's great. I love it. Um, well, yeah, that's it for our recap this week. Yeah. Um, we will be back next week with a recap of episode two mm-hmm. of preacher. Um, hopefully well, we'll would be it a- technically be episode one. No, it's two. Is it two? Okay. Yeah. Pilot uh, is always considered one. Yeah. Got it. Um, and then, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be a little more timely this next week. I was out of town all last weekend, so we were unable to record last week. But uh, next week we should be able to get it out a little quicker. Um, but yeah, so if you ever have uh, questions, comments, you want to contribute some thoughts, um, argue with us. You know, say tell us your the readings of your scenes. You can always contact us at holysmokespodcast at gmail dot com. Um, is the Twitter Holy Smokes Pod? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Holy Smokes Pod. Um, if you guys want to follow me, I usually will update uh, during the episode. Um, and I'll also update about other shit like Game of Thrones. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Brit L. Bird. That's Bird with a Y. Where can they find you, Josh? I'm at Josh B. Carter on Twitter. On the tweets. On the tweets. Yeah. Um, so yeah, until until next time. Oh, where can they actually listen to the podcast? Oh, we are on iTunes. We are on iTunes. At Holy Smokes. And then we also are at holysmokespodcast.com. We're a dot com. You can find us there. Uh, that's where we post all of our post all of our episodes. Those get transferred over to iTunes. Um, so you can subscribe either, either way. Uh, but yeah, until next week, uh, come back and see us for episode two of Preacher, which is actually titled C. We can't get away from Hannibal. But, (laughs) yeah, so for now, sayonara. Peace.